Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Weinstein, and let me welcome you back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. As we approach the final month of 2023, let me thank you for being a faithful listener to the podcast. I frequently hear from some of you, and your feedback and encouragement is greatly appreciated. As we close out 2023, the podcast listeners has increased nearly 15% over last year, and we are approaching 75,000 people who have listened to our programs. Thanks for being a faithful listener. The podcast team is thankful for your support, and we look forward to sharing with you more inspiring Cedarville stories that we pray bring God the glory that his name is due. Today's podcast guest is Dave Ormsby, and I'm going to be talking with Dave, who I consider the father of the Cedarville Admissions team. Dave graduated back in 1979, and during his first year at Cedarville, as an employee that is, he traveled more than 32,000 miles to recruit college students and spread the word about Cedarville University. I will talk with Dave at length about the early years of admissions at Cedarville. So let's get to my conversation with Dave Ornsby on this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. Dave, welcome to the program. It's good to have you. Thanks so much for uh, inviting me, uh, Mark. It's an honor to be here. So Dave, uh, your Cedarville story actually began before you came to Cedarville. It was through a relationship with your high school football coach, Tom Duff at Perry High School in Northeast Ohio. How was Coach Huff able to inspire you to maybe come to Cedarville? Well, Mark, thanks for asking that. I, I tell people that everything I have, everything I've ever accomplished, uh, really goes back to what Christ has done in my life. Yeah. And that started through Cedarville University and a Cedarville University graduate, uh, Tom Duff. He uh, graduated in 1968, I believe, and took a job in my public high school, Perry, Ohio, Northeast Ohio, and uh, came in 1970. And uh, I was all about football. I loved football. And since he was the new coach, I was in his space as much as I possibly could be. And he started a thing called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I was attending the local Methodist church. And I thought I was a Christian. You know, I went yeah. to church and believed that Jesus lived and died and so on. And so I faithfully uh, attended those weekly Fellowship of Christian Athlete meetings Right. for two reasons. One is I thought it was a good thing to do. But secondly, I wanted to be around the coach. And finally, my senior year, it all sunk in uh, that I needed Christ as my Savior. I believed Christ at arm's length, but I'd never personalized it. Mm. And uh, that year, in fact, at a, a New Year's Eve service, it finally made sense, and I asked Christ to save me. So how did you see, for the first time, that transformation in your life where you were holding Christ at arm's length, and now he was personal to you? How did that change your life, and how did you see it change your life? Sure. Well, the first thing I noticed was I had read my Bible before, but I was, like a lot of athletes in high school, very superstitious. In fact, I could tell you, Many times we lost football games because I didn't tie my shoes the right way or didn't polish my football the right way. I was so superstitious. Yeah. And I read the Bible before that out of superstition uh, okay. because I thought if I read a little bit of the Bible every day, things will go well. Well, after I came to Christ, of course, I, you know, I didn't tell anybody. <laughs> I just made this decision and I didn't tell anybody, but I started, I had this insatiable appetite for the Word of God. I started reading the Bible, and it made sense. The things actually made sense that I was reading. 
The second thing was I was nicer to my sisters, <laughs> and my uh, my parents noticed that right away. And my dad had always listened uh, to Billy Graham, and I started listening to Billy Graham with him and other things. And in fact, I started hauling my parents and my sisters to all kinds of special events. Bill Glass was a former Cleveland sure. Browns football player, had evangelistic meetings. I hauled my family. I hauled my friends. I mean, I couldn't get enough of Jesus. As a young guy going to a Methodist church, you thought you were saved, you weren't. Where were your siblings and your parents then, and where are they today spiritually? Sure. Well, that's a good question. We were always very involved in church. My dad was the uh, choir director, and after I came to Christ, my parents rededicated their lives to Christ, Okay. and then my younger sisters came to Christ as well. And then a year or two later, my older sister came to Christ. So Coach Duff's influence on my life transformed the trajectory of our entire entire family. Yeah, that's fabulous. Wonderful to hear. Now that your eternal destination was secure, you knew it for sure that you were saved. Tell us the story how you found Cedarville. Of course, I was looking at colleges and I was a, a good student, had done very well and had many opportunities. But my sister had gone to Miami of Ohio, which is a large state school. Sure. And at least for her, it was a, a bit overwhelming. And I thought, you know, if it was overwhelming for her, I want to go to a small school. Okay. I knew I wanted to go to a small school. I knew I was inter- interested in science. And Coach Duff casually mentioned one day, he said, Dave, you should look at Cedarville. I said, okay, I'll look at Cedarville. It's in Ohio. It wasn't too far away, about three or four hours from my home. And so I came down and visited the school. And uh, it just so happened, it was the day after the Zeno tornado had come through town. Really? Of course, I didn't read the paper. I didn't know anything. I just thought it was interesting. People were talking about this big storm. And a friend of mine and I came down, and I took a tour. I looked around campus. A friend of mine from uh, the previous year who graduated a year earlier had come to Cedarville, and I said hello to her. And I noticed two things when I visited campus. One is that they had a good science program, and secondly, I could tell they were serious about their Christianity. And so I went back home and I said, hmm, looks pretty good to me. So the, the fact that we had a strong science program and we were, we were serious about our faith were the two elements that sold you on Cedarville. So you, you come to the university at back then, back then it was Cedarville College. And I remember you telling me one of the first purchases you made when you came to Cedarville was buying a Schofield Reference Bible. Why did you buy a Schofield Reference Bible so early in your college career? Well, as I mentioned, Mark, when I came to Cedarville, I was a, a brand new Christian. I didn't have my own Bible. I mean, so you I, read you read somebody else's Bible. I read somebody else's Bible all this time. Okay. And my mom had given me a Bible. My mom had committed her life to Christ as in a Presbyterian church as a young person, um, and my dad grew up in a Baptist home, and so. Um, you know, we had Bibles around, but I didn't have my own Bible. Yeah. And so the first thing I did when, and I knew, one thing I knew very clearly was, I thought, man, I am ignorant. I know nothing about this Christianity thing. And so I need to learn as much as I possibly can. And so I remember coming to campus and going to the bookstore and I said, mom and dad, I need to buy a Bible. And they took me into the bookstore and I bought a Schofield reference Bible because Someone told me that was the Bible to have. And uh, so I bought that Bible and uh, used it quite a bit. But then soon after that, one of the Bible professors, I can't remember which one it was, he said, you know, if you want a Bible that's a little easier to read, the New American Standard Bible is a great Bible to have. 
And so I bought that one, and that's really the one that I embraced fully um, as a as a college student. In fact, one of my Bible professors, he said, he challenged us. He said, what I challenge you to do is get a regular Bible and make it your own reference Bible. Put your own references in there, things that come to mind, things that you hear. And that's what I did with that New American Standard Bible. As a, a baby Christian, I just absorbed everything I heard and, and saw. I was thrilled to take Old Testament survey with Dr. Jack Riggs. And then, of course, the chapel messages were very encouraging. The interesting thing was I lived in Bethel. I had a room by myself. All of us had single rooms in that dormitory, an old army barracks. And um, because I was on my own, so to speak, if they would say something to do in chapel, that's what I would do. So I, they said, well, you got to read your Bible in the morning. So I read my Bible in the morning. They got to pray in the morning. So I prayed in the morning. You got to read your Bible at night. So I'd read my Bible at night and pray at night. And on top of that, then the guys in Bethel were the best thing that ever happened to me because they took me in. They recognized me as a young Christian, and they just discipled me all year long. So I hear often from Cedarville alumni that the heartbeat of Cedarville University today is the chapel program. Five days a week, great speakers in worship. It's clearly the highlight that fosters spiritual growth and development at Cedarville. Did you find that to be true for you? Clearly. Of course, when I first started, we actually met in Alfred Auditorium. And so we had speakers there, and I still can remember certain speakers that came, and the Spirit of God just applied what they said uh, to my life. I remember Alan Monroe, one of Dr. Alan Monroe, one of our professors, he spoke one time, and, and he spoke on the passage, all things are yours. And I can still remember that message that he shared many years ago. Another gentleman was a missionary from Australia, and he talked and, uh, again, really made an impression on my life. How many students were enrolled at that time? You well, I want to say maybe 13, 1,400 students. I had all kinds of friends on campus. I got involved in intramurals. I got involved in the Christian ministries. Uh, my sophomore year, I was privileged to be a part of the Sword Bearers program, which was a traveling singing team. Between my sophomore and junior year, I had privilege of going to Israel for the summer. And then in between my junior and senior year, I actually traveled with the summer Sword Bearers all over New England for the summer. Now, you mentioned Israel, and uh, I, I asked this because I just recently on the podcast, I had Pat Eastep on the program because he took his team to Israel. And the question I, I, I posed to him, I want to pose to you is, did that experience in Israel help you see the Bible more clearly and really make it come alive in your reading? Oh, amazingly so. I was privileged to live on a kibbutz for uh, seven weeks. And then the last week, we actually uh, took a class through the uh, Institute of Holy Land Studies and toured all over Israel uh, 12 hours a day all over the, all over the country. And my Bible came alive because— there are many things that the Bible articulates that, of course, at the time, the readers understood it. But we, didn't underst- we don't understand it because we don't understand the topography, first of all, For sure. or the culture. Right. And so it was an amazing experience, uh, something I recommend that everyone go to Israel because of that. Yeah. And so having spent the summer there and then taking that intensive study, it, it's never been the same. Oh. I, one of my favorite experiences is we— we lived just south of the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, and a friend and I went to um, out to dinner there at a restaurant, and we had St. Peter's fish. Really? 
Now, they just call it St. Peter's fish probably because it makes it easier to sell the fish. Probably does. But they, they serve the fish with the head on it, and uh, which was very fascinating and just a great experience. What an experience. I want to pivot to more on, on your career now at Cedarville. As I mentioned in the introduction, I label you as a father of Cedarville admissions. And a key reason for the success that we have today really falls on your shoulders and the shoulders of other people who worked in admissions back when you were there. But higher education was never really your dream job or your career. You were going into medicine. What kind of medicine interested you as a high school student, maybe as a young college student? Well, as I mentioned, I liked, I always loved science. I liked a lot of subjects, but I really liked science. And I thought, well, I was told, too, you could get a good job in science. And if you're good in science, people say, well, you should probably be a doctor. And so I was a pre-medical chemistry major right? and um, loved studying chemistry uh, and liked chemistry better than biology. And what I realized in studying chemistry at a place like Cedarville, and again, under the tutelage of people like Dr. Larry Helmick and Don Bowman, is I saw God in a greater way. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember a project that Dr. Helmick had us do. We had to do a, a, a term paper, a research paper, uh, that, that articulated a certain concept uh, in chemistry, and we were supposed to show how it was distinct from a creationist standpoint. And I thought, oh, brother, this is going to be interesting. In fact, we had to do two papers. He was into papers for a while. And so we did that. And then when I started working, it was interesting because my study in that was able, was enabled me to share Christ because uh, there are certain chemical compounds that are only found in the created order, and they're not man-made. Mm-hmm. And that gave me that, that ability. Um, and so I was interested in the science. But as I went on in the science aspect, I realized I didn't know how I wanted to use that, what aspect of medicine. And that led me to an interesting journey my senior year. I had scheduled uh, my interviews and so on. At that time, I was leaning more toward podiatry, which is the, uh, being a foot specialist. And so I canceled those interviews because I wasn't sure if I was really committed to it. And I thought, I'm not going to do well in these interviews if I can't convince them I'm, I'm committed. So I took a job in Michigan for a large chemical company, uh, and I ran the customer service laboratory. Yeah. At that same, during that time, I also did a lot of, of, um, of shadowing. And as I shadowed uh, various medical professionals, I realized one very important thing, <laughs> and that is I don't like being around sick people. And uh, it sounds mean, but I guess... I don't think I think I have the best patient care orientation. And so I decided that I probably should look into something different. But with podiatry, I mean, you want to be really around sick people. You're just trying to help people with their feet, right? Yeah. But still, I realized, you know, I had friends who loved to watch surgery. I didn't like to watch surgery. <laughs> I don't like blood and guts. <laughs> and anyone in the medical profession would tell you that's a part of it. It is. And uh, it's not that I don't like to take care of people. I've taken care of my kids, of course, growing up. But I realized that was not probably the best thing for me. So your year after college, you're in Michigan, you, you changed direction. And that's when a classmate friend, Craig Miller, who was a year younger than you, suggested, because he was working in admissions at the time, 
part-time job. He suggested that maybe you look at Cedarville Admissions. Is that how you joined the admissions team? It is, yeah. So I was uh, working a, a lot at this chemical company, and I was on their management track. But then, of course, I stayed in contact with Craig, and, and Craig contacted me one day, and he said, you know, Dave, they're expanding the admissions department and want to have a full-time recruiter. And he knew how much I loved Cedarville, having traveled with the Sword Bearers, and he knew I loved to travel. And honestly, Mark, it was uh, it was music to my ears because here was uh, I was a person that was always traveling as a college student. Right. And here I, in Michigan, I was pretty much working there. I didn't get out of town that much just because I had to work so much. And I thought, boy, this sounds great. If I can just travel, represent Cedarville. And I thought, well, I'll go on and eventually get my MBA and that kind of thing and see what, what goes on after that. So it was uh, pretty exciting when he let me know about that. So I applied, came down for an interview. I interviewed with the director of admissions as well as Dr. Dixon, and they offered me a job. And you took the job, and then the first year, you literally lived out of a suitcase, right? Because you literally. traveled a lot. Literally. So I, uh, I remember I, I came... And uh, Bob White was the director of admissions, just a, a tremendous gentleman, a great mentor, uh, former All-American, played under Woody Hayes, and uh, just a great guy. So he and, I he and I loved to talk about football. Sure. And uh, I remember coming in the first day, he pointed to a desk in the corner, <laughs> and he said, there's your desk, there's your phone, there's a book of Christian schools on the top of it, go to it. And... So I did. You know, this is uh, BC before computers, basically. Sure. And um, so that's what I did. I got on the phone and called people up and and asked if I could come and talk to their students at a church or a school about Cedarville. As I did research from 1979 to 1997, that's when you were in admissions. Your enrollment teams helped to increase student enrollment by 113 percent, an increase of more than 1,300 students. That's amazing. And in many of these years, as you mentioned, you weren't working with modern technology. Computers were not here at that point. What were some of the methods that you implemented that seemed to put Cedarville on the map with prospective students? One of the things we recognized was that we had limited resources, but we had a big task ahead of us. And so, and I was privileged to work very closely with Paul Dixon. And your not, office was in the same building. Same building. He was, he, his office was two doors down from mine. And so he would stop in regularly, and we would chat. I also worked with uh, Dr. Cliff Johnson, just a tremendous mentor to me. These gentlemen were fearless and optimistic, and couldn't ask for a better environment to grow as a young professional. Now, they didn't always like my ideas, because my ideas usually came with a price tag, but they supported quite a few things. Yeah. We recognized that, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, so we had to utilize what we could, and we we realized that people were our greatest asset as well as the Lord. And I always told my, my team, I said, we need to pray and work and work and pray and empower people as much as possible. And so that's what we did. Of course, this is before the digital age. And so everything was through mail or actually handing people literature. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things that I did was I recognized that um, visually attractive Literature was important. One of the things that I did over the years was um, we, at that time, students wanted a college catalog. That was how they made a decision. They yeah. would get a view book and maybe a college catalog. Well, I recognized that pictures are the most important thing. 
So we really worked hard at getting photos and putting good photos and captioning every photo because I did some research and found out that the caption of a photo is one of the most highly read components of any publication. We did that. Um, we also started a calling program um, where we actually called prospective students. We were among the first colleges anywhere to do that. One of my staff members, Carl Ruby, uh, who was a great a team member, and he started that program. We also did everything we possibly could to get someone to visit campus. And so we would have events, uh, but also we would just invite them to visit any time possible. Back in the day, no computers. You were, you were, you were typing letters on typewriters. Um, there were no fax machines even back then. Um, technology was, was limited. Other than that, what were some other big challenges that you face in trying to lead the admissions department forward and helping, helping to grow Cedarville College? I learned early on that people are your greatest asset. And I would pray regularly and look regularly for sharp people to be on my team. And um, God provided in an, an amazing way. One of the key people that I hired was Roscoe Smith. He was yeah. our first full-time guest coordinator. And uh, because our guest volume had picked up and we needed someone just to manage that full-time. And if you can imagine, he managed that by um, without a computer. <laughs> and um, back in those early days, just to give you an idea, we would produce letters, and many of them were on a IBM Selectric typewriter. Right. And we didn't have much space because we kept packing all these people into this small office area. And so we had a young lady, a student, who could type about 100, 100 words a minute. But when she was typing, of course, we couldn't hear anything else because those IBM electric typewriters are so loud. So if he had to make a phone call, he'd say, Marcia, don't type right now. I need to make a phone call. Yeah. And that's how he functioned. As I was preparing for today's podcast, Dave, I, I try to do that in a variety of ways. One, I like talking to the guests, get a little idea so I understand where you're coming from. But I also talk to people who know the guests well. And so I did that. And uh, you know, I talked with Roscoe uh, Smith was one. and and one phrase that kept coming up with others as well was the phrase, never assume. I asked this question in light of that. Why, why did John Hart and Dave Cox, on their way of, out of working at Cedarville, give you a sign that says, never assume? One of the things that I was trying to impress on my team was that customer service was key. Mm -hmm. And when you're working with guests and prospective students and parents, you can't assume that everything's, first of all, going to be perfect, that right. you won't have to be flexible, but also you can't assume that they know everything as well. And so we would, we would embrace the idea, never assume, because that meant we were going to go above and beyond to always make sure yeah. that that guest, that prospective student was going to be served well. Yeah. And John and Dave Loved it so much, that's why they gave me the sign, and okay. we always talk about that. When you reflect on your career here at Cedarville University, Dave, primarily in admissions, what brings you the greatest satisfaction? You know, uh, um, I heard years ago that the most important thing to invest in is people, because people and the Word of God are the only things that we have in our possession today that will last through eternity. Right. And one of the greatest blessings of working at Cedarville over the years has been the privilege of being able to invest in people. There are a lot of stories I could tell. One of my favorites is a story of God's provision. 
And again, this goes back to the, the late 80s. I was uh, working as director of admissions. My parents were up at Word of Life uh, enjoying a week of vacation Okay, uh, at the Bible conference. Sure. And they had invited me up to, to, to join them. And I thought that'd be great. I had a number of folks who I knew that uh, at Word of Life, we, of course, recruited a lot of students from there. And so I said, sure, I'll join you up there. And uh, about a day or two before I was going to go up there, uh, I got a letter. This is back before email was dominant. I got a letter from a young lady from Hungary. And she said she was up at Word of Life Bible Institute. And she said she wanted to come to Cedarville, but she needed a scholarship. I remember reading the letter and thinking, you know, I, I used to get those letters at least every week, sometimes more than once a week, from people who wanted to come to Cedarville and didn't have any money. And I said, well, I'll answer this letter when I get back. So I put the letter aside, drove up to Scroon Lake, New York, and saw my parents. And of course, uh, I knew a lot of the leadership there. And they said, well, Dave, you know, you got to make sure that you take a tour of the island. That's the youth outing area. I said, sure, I'd love to do that. So I I took the boat, took the ferry over from the mainland there to the island and saw the youth activities and so on, and then got back on the boat uh, to go back to the mainland. And there were two or three people on the boat. And of course, you know, given my orientation of always meeting people, I thought, well, I need to meet these folks. And so I met various individuals and a young lady was there and I said, hey, I'm Dave. I'm from Cedarville. She says, my name is Andrea. And she said, I just wrote you a letter. And I said, you're Andrea from Hungary. And she said, that's right. I said, I got your letter just before I came. And I I said, I didn't get a chance to answer it, but this is even better than that. We can chat in person. And so she told me her story on the way back to the, the mainland. And I said, Andrea, I need to be very honest with you. Uh, I said, I get letters like that every week, and we don't have any money for that kind of thing. We don't have any scholarships. Our financial aid is very limited. But I'll tell you what, Andrea, your story is compelling. When I go back, I will talk to our financial aid director and just see. I mean, it doesn't hurt to ask. And so that's the way we left it. And so when I got back a week or so later, I went in to see Dave Gidley. He was the financial aid director at that time, and he and I worked very closely together. I said, Mr. Gidley, I said, I was up at Word of Life, and I met this young lady, very talented musician. Her name's Andrea. She's from Hungary. And she asked if there was any money available for a scholarship. I, and I realized, Mr. Gidley, that we've had this conversation before, and the answer is going to probably be no, but I, I promised her that I would ask you yeah. at least. And he said, Dave, it's so interesting that you asked this. He said, just last week, someone came to me and said, I would like to sponsor a student from a communist country. Oh, wow. And that individual paid her tuition the entire time she was at Cedarville. She graduated from Cedarville. She went on and got a full scholarship to the Cincinnati Conservatory of Music. She then went on and moved up to Minnesota, met her husband up there. He became a medical doctor, and uh, their son, their youngest son, is a student here at Cedarville this year. Do you still stay in contact with her? I do, yeah. We stayed in contact somewhat infrequently over the years, but then this last couple of years when her son started looking at Cedarville, we, I connected her son with the golf coach, and uh, her son's quite a good golfer, and so that's been exciting as well. And so you, uh, you just never know how God 
can use you. And I was just trying to do my job. And to me, and I've told my students that I teach this story because I said, we don't know how God can use us. Much like the book of Esther, God worked out every detail in Esther's life and in my situation to help Andrea. Yeah. And we can trust God to take care of us. It's stories like that that keep us coming back day after day to work, isn't it? It is. I wanted to get into the aspect, and I want our guests, our listeners to know that, you know, Dave was more than just admissions. I mean, he's worked here. He's been at Cedarville almost for 50 years as a student, as an employee. He's worked in advancement. He's worked in the graduate school. He worked in the school of pharmacy. He was, he and Dwayne Wood uh, helped build and start the school of engineering and, and the school of pharmacy. There's so much Dave has done and has a huge impact on the current Cedarville University. But as I wrap up today's program with nearly 50 years of a relationship with this institution and the people here, what does Cedarville University mean to you? Well, as I mentioned at the very outset, I mean, it was through Cedarville that I came to Christ. And mm-hmm. that's priceless. That's priceless. Coach Duff, in fact, we planted a tree in his honor on campus. His, one of his favorite verses is, what profit does a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Yeah. And uh, I often said if I had a million dollars, I'd give it in honor of Coach Duff because, you know, a million dollars doesn't even compare to the value of a person's soul. Right. And, and so it's meant everything to me, honestly. And also, I, it's just, it's been absolutely thrilling to see how the Lord has allowed Cedarville to stay focused on Christ no matter what we're doing. And to follow Christ, I remember when Dwayne and I were starting the engineering program, we believed we'd had very successful pre-engineering program. We believed that God was leading us to start engineering. So we were bringing groups in, talking to individuals. And I remember at an event in, in Dayton, of course, Dayton is filled with engineers. We invited a number of engineers there, engineers there because we wanted to get their advocacy. And this gentleman who was familiar with Cedarville came up and he said, Dave, he said, you know, it's really neat that you guys are interested in engineering. He says, I'm an engineer. But he said, you should focus on studying the Bible and leave engineering to somebody else. Oh, wow. And I said, well, sir, you know, I, I appreciate that perspective. But he said, I said, we really believe that God's leading us to start this engineering program. We need to follow the Lord's leading. And, of course, we saw God provide everything we needed to start that program. And when we started engineering, our applications doubled, and it has transformed the university and changed the direction and produced hundreds, really thousands of individuals to go out and have an impact in in engineering. Yeah, probably thousands for sure. And so I guess that's something else is I've seen that if you need to follow God's leading and if God's in it, you need to keep going no matter what. Dave, thanks for for sharing your story. Uh, For listeners, maybe you have a prospective student in your home or you know of someone who is looking for a Christ-centered education, I really encourage you to check out Cedarville University. You can do that by going to cedarville.edu and checking the website. And uh, we'd love to have you on campus for a campus visit, campus tour, and uh, maybe Cedarville is the right fit for you. So check out cedarville.edu. Dave, again, thanks for joining me this week on the podcast. Mark, it's been a real honor. Thank you for having me. I want to thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. You are encouraged to share, like, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.